picking up in Ephesians, one of the most profound things about this letter is that it's general, which is really great for us today because it means that we can assert ourselves right into the pages of it. And what he has to say applies to us in a very real, tangible, first-hand way, actually. Sometimes we think of the Bible as, well, it's an ancient book. It was 2,000 years ago. Could it really have something to say today? Yes. In fact, because it's truth, it's more relevant than the things that we see before our eyes. It's got something to say either in detail or in principle of every situation that we would ever deal with. So because God has spoken, it's so important for us to heed it. Now what we love about Ephesians is that Paul is gushing. When's the last time you gushed? What did you gush over? Birth of a child? Man, I remember when Zechariah was born. They come, ah! right? Everybody's been there, right? You know it. Ah! But it was great because I was able to take the kid in my arms and begin singing Amazing Grace, and he quieted. And I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> and you gush. Because it's a moment of joy like you don't even know. It's emotion overload. Paul is gushing. How do we know that? Because he forgot to use sentence structure. He forgot to insert a comma or a period or an ex. He could have at least put it, if he's happy, he could at least put an explanation, an exclamation mark in there. I can't even say the word. He could have at least gave us a right? But he didn't. He just kept going and going and going. So I think one of the healthiest things for us to do, especially because of what we're looking at in this section, is to take from 3 to 14 in chapter 1 and to read it through. Now the tendency, because you know in the back of your mind that the manuscripts don't have punctuation, we want to read it quickly. Let's not do that. It may be a run-on sentence, but that doesn't mean we have to have motor mouths in order to operate in it, okay? But let's read it slow. Let's try to soak in what it's saying. Because what we're going to deal with today, if we read it just by itself, you'd say, I don't even know what in the world's going on. And that's okay. That's why we're here to break it down. Look at verse 3. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I hope that this is something that you've been going over and over and over. Because to me, this is like, I don't know, everybody remember the game? Price is Right fans, anybody? Bob Barker, Price is Right fans, anybody? Alright, yeah, okay, thank you. Let's get in the game here. Does everybody remember when they would wheel out the game and it was all the little punch holes? You punch in there and you pull out the paper and that's how much cash you got. You could give it up. Maybe if they pulled a paper out of the next one, it was more. Sometimes it was less. Everybody remember that? Yeah. My favorite was the guy who climbed up the mountain. We won't talk about that. And Plinko. But anyway, this is one of those passages where no matter what hole you punch into in these 11 verses, you agree, this is worth so much. 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 And what's amazing is, is all of it is found in one place, and all of it is yours. I hope you haven't stopped being impressed by not just how much God loves you, but how much He looks to bless you, and how much He has blessed you, and just says, my dear child, take these blessings. Live in these blessings. Embrace these blessings. Make decisions throughout your entire life in these blessings because when you do that, you are living above the norm of the bar that this world has set. So I have to ask you a question. How rich are you? No. Every spiritual blessing. See, in a couple of weeks, you guys are going to have this down. Okay? So, let's ask it again. How rich are you? Every spiritual blessing. Where are those riches? Stop it. Go back. Man, you guys are not going to score well on your midterm here. Where are your riches? They're all in one place. And Christ, see, you, I saw the answer. The passage in Christ. In Him. Your row got it. We know that's not true because Jay is in your row. <laughs> okay? We just... <laughs> then it must have been a mistake. All right. In Him, in Christ, in the Beloved, all of these things existing in a brand new location that when you heard the Gospel and you responded in faith, God picked you up and moved you there spiritually speaking. That's where you are. You exist in a realm of complete Blessing, lacking in nothing. That's a good place. That's a great place. You know the interesting thing about being moved there? You never have to move again. Even if you try to pick it up and go, God says no. You are in now a glorious, celestial, closed community. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, we're going to pick up in the middle of verse 8. Why? Everybody see in the middle of verse 8? <clears throat> it's one run-on sentence, but if we just read verse 8 for itself, we would read, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Now, 
If you go on our pastor's blog at our website, gbcportage.com, you can click on the tab that says pastor's blog. I have got a ridiculous amount of stuff that I've written. And it deals with this argument about should there be a period in the middle of this sentence, okay? For those of you that don't want to go on there and read it, the less spiritual ones, okay? I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Never mind. Um, just kidding. The answer is yes. I believe there should be a period in the middle of this. Okay? And here's the reason why. If we deal with in all wisdom and insight, it would be referring back to the redemption in His blood. But it seems like He's pretty much filled that out for our understanding. So the question we have to ask is, okay, if it doesn't refer going back to the idea of the redemption, what does it refer to? In all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Let's stop there for just a second and let's deal with this idea of wisdom and understanding. If you have the little notebooks that we've given out, I want to ask a favor of you if you wouldn't mind. is to take the idea of wisdom and understanding. Don't do this to me today, computer. Satan is in the surface. I'm guaranteeing it. Wisdom and insight. We're going to look at these two. The first thing we need to understand is this word. All. Now yes, depending on context, could the word all have a boundary to it? It could possibly. If I said something like, all of you are doing a good job paying attention, but I'm motioning in a direction, we're obviously talking about this row over here. You know we're not talking about this row over here. Okay? Talking about this row over here. So, in all, but here's the thing. We're talking about two interesting things. They actually make up two halves of the same whole of the idea of wisdom and insight. What in the world does that mean? And is it important for us to spend time on it? Absolutely it is because of what we learn. When we talk about this word here, the first one, wisdom, is Sophia. We're pretty used to that. We understand that. We name our kids that kind of thing, okay? But what in the world does it mean? It's the capacity. Now stop and think about that for just a second, okay? The capacity for two things. One, to understand, and two, to function accordingly. Now stop for just a second. If we were doing our daily devotions, we might just breeze right by in all wisdom and insight. But ask yourself this question real quick. If the understanding of having wisdom is a capacity first and foremost, did you have this capacity before you met Jesus? No! Think about that for just a second. This is a brand new realm that involves the mind. He has taken our brains and He's actually done a complete makeover. And He has opened up an area that we previously didn't know. I love, okay, number one, I love this situation. I love this scene. Because whenever the apostles are gathered after the resurrection, they're kind of cowering and they're kind of freaking out about how things are going and all that. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears beyond the locked doors and said, peace be with you. And everybody's like, ah! Everybody remember that? And it's really crazy because it even mentions the doors are locked and here's Jesus amongst them. And it's so amazing when He's in there, He's talking to them. It says that He opened their mind to understand all that was written about Him. He opens them to understand the Old Testament. They've had the Old Testament all of their life. They know these 39 books. And all of a sudden, Jesus, He does something. 
that causes them to be able to look back on this revelation that they've had and go, oh, good grief. I see how all this as it unfolded in history was pointing to this moment in time where Jesus would be before us. That's a pretty big deal. Why? Because He's also done that for you and me. In Christ, you have a brand new capacity. You did not have it before. I did not have it before. You can actually think according to the truth. Understand this, guys. And it doesn't take long to figure it out. The world can't do this. It is impossible for the pagan mind who does not have the born-again life of the Holy Spirit in them to think according to truth. We often throw around the word corruption. Why is it that a lawyer can take a bribe? Corruption. Why is it that marriages fall apart? Corruption. You know how many people are married that don't see their marriage as a joining together of Christ in the church? That has a really big bearing on how you look at things because God's doing something spiritual in your union. It's not just physical. It's not just, oh, we still have googly eyes for each other, so let's go. That's not what it is. There's so much deeper about what God says. And when you've been given the capacity to understand this, you're all of a sudden recognizing that life isn't just going through the motions, playing around and hoping that you make the right decisions. It really is a battle for truth to be able to reign and you can know it. Now notice what it's done. It doesn't just give you understanding about situations, but you're also able to function. You met anybody that's without Christ that can't function? The whole world falls apart when they get that bad news on the telephone. In fact, all somebody has to do is say something snide about them on their Facebook post and they've lost it. Where in the world have we gotten to? Such a sensitive society. When you're not seeing things through truth and all of your esteem is rooted in self, you don't have anything else. Why? Because you don't have the capacity. You can't understand anything more. You've reached your limit. And if you can't stand anything more, then you can't function as anything but a sinner. This is why sin shouldn't surprise us. That's our old capacity. The supernatural takes us beyond it. The second word, insight. Phronesis is this word. Here's what's interesting about this. The faculty of thoughtful planning. A way of thinking or a frame of mind. We sometimes call this a worldview. How we looked at the world was very different before we came to Christ as it is now after you come to Christ. Why is that? The capacity is different. The understanding is different. The function is different. And now the planning of your life is completely different. Now, because he's here today, I'm going to do it. Isaiah, can I pick on you? Okay. Isaiah, how old are you, man? 21. 21. 21. Yeah. You know what 21-year-olds do when they turn 21? They go to a bar. They walk in. They're like, yeah. And then they walk back out just because they can do it. That's what they do. You know? They didn't have anything. They just, I can do this now kind of thing. It's experiencing everything brand new. But here's a question I want to ask. Before you met Jesus, what did you want to do? You wanted to drink in the bar. Is that true? But you wanted to be there? This ain't about the bar. This is about your life. I'm asking. Forget the bar. It was a terrible example and you've killed it. 
What did you want to do before you came to know Jesus? What, what would you think you were going to do with your life? No direction. Did you have any aspirations? Think I might want to... What? I think I might want to make money. Guess what? They're training to be missionaries. No money. And let's be honest, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. Why? Because when you come to know Jesus and you recognize that His call is greater, that His plan is greater, that when we tried to control everything in our lives so to make sure that it all worked out well, and we killed ourselves doing it, let's be honest. Some of the people that are most stressed out in the world are stressed out for one reason. They're seeking every opportunity to control their life and they can't do it and they don't want to face it. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me I can't do that. Don't tell me that's not the possibility. Don't tell me we can't. And they get mad about it. You met Jesus and guess what? Everything else was in somebody's hands all along. I just now know who it is. He's going to take care of it better than I can. He's going to plan it better than I can. And all this resistance that I've put up is so futile. Because now I have a capacity to look beyond and I can actually thoughtfully plan. I now have insight into this new capacity of understanding and functioning for one reason. Jesus made it possible. In Christ is the difference. It's the difference from a grinding life to a glorious life. You might say, man, you're making a lot of big deal out of these five words. Yes, I am. Because we are in this text. This is talking about us. I don't believe that. Okay, so you're in unbelief. But that doesn't change the truth of the matter. The passage tells us in all wisdom and insight, this brand new capacity that you have to plan out your life in a different way. And not just that, it's the ability, ability, capacity, to understand, understanding insight and intelligence. You have a supernatural thinking model that the world doesn't have. How do you know this? I need to go to a psychiatrist to tell me what's wrong with me. My illustrations just give themselves. I don't know. I need to go to a psychiatrist to figure out what's wrong with me. Does a psychiatrist deal in the supernatural? No. They will talk about how you feel, what you think, what you see, what you hear. You can touch it, you can taste it maybe. They get into the natural of things. But as I've told some of you before, if they do the best job that they could ever possibly humanly do, and I don't doubt their sincerity in wanting to help people, but if they're doing the best they could do, they're only going to deal with 50% of the issue that makes up a person. We are supernatural people. And to understand that we step into this new realm of intelligence by the blessing of the Holy Spirit being in Christ's people, we now see things more clearly than we've ever seen it in our lives. Now what is all this Insight and wisdom leading into. I already said that. Notice, he made known. Who's he? It's not. The Father has made known to us 
personal inclusive pronoun, the church, Paul included, the mystery. Now, if you think Scooby-Doo, I understand, but that's not what this means, okay? There are no doors that give way and the chocolate ghost isn't going to get you. He made known the mystery of what? His will. I love it when I hear, especially brand new Christians, I just want to know God's will. We're getting ready to find out what God's will is. Because in all wisdom and insight, He has made it known to you and me. Paul knew it in his day. We know it now. What is it? Give me a second, we'll get there. Watch this real quick. He's made this known to us in a way that we could measure. How does God want us to know this? Remember this? According to? We find it. If you go back and you read through, just take your paper, go through, read through, get your Bible, read through, and just mark the according to, according to. God wants to measure this out so that we understand it. So notice that this is a measurement. His kind intention. Some translations say His good pleasure. God gets His jollies in letting you know His will. He loves it. He loves the idea that His creation has now been given the capacity to know Him more. When we understand how God works more, who He is and what He's done and what He will do, it completely changes your value system. You will not make the same decisions that you will make when you understand God more and more and more. Well, in order to cure that problem, you got to do this. In order to cure this problem, you have to do this. If you want to get out from under that bondage to sin, you have to do this. Stop. You just need to know your God, how much He loved you and what He did for you. That's the basic block because it's a heart problem. Before it's anything else, it's always a heart problem. And there's only one person that can change the heart. There's only one person that can reach in there and so impart truth to root it into our very being that ends up creating different responses, different answers, and different habits. But if it's not based on a change in truth, a change in value, what we esteem is important, it won't stay. It won't stick. The love of God in this situation makes the complete difference. He has good pleasure and kindness, which He purposed, got a reason for it, in, who's this? This is Christ. Now remember, this section, verses 7-12, through 12, is all about the blessings that we have specifically tied to the Son. That doesn't mean the Father's not allowed to get in those verses and play His role. He very much is. But we have to discern out what's going on. God is doing all these things to bless us in His Son for no other reason except the fact that He's loving and gracious. That's just it. Now, what is the mystery? Let's watch this. Understanding the word mystery. I, 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 the lexicons gave good definitions, but good grief, they were lanky. They read weird, so I, I, I didn't deal with that. But it's the idea of mysterion. Now, I know what you're thinking. When you see mysterion, you want to go. All right? I do. I did. Okay, so Moody Bible Commentary. If you get a chance to get Moody Bible Commentary, fantastic commentary. A little expensive, probably about 40 bucks but especially the guy who wrote the Gospel of John comments and the Epistle of James comments. Top-notch guy. Great guy. Okay? Uh, Gerald Peterman writes, Mystery, 
refers to some aspect of God's plan that was previously hidden. Now stop. If it's previously hidden, where does that tell you that it was hidden at? You know? In the Old Testament, who said it? Jerry. Smart man. You wear glasses. I see it. Okay. You wear glasses, smart guy. I don't know what the rest of you guys are doing. Seeing with your eyes and all. Get glasses. Makes you smart. So, in the Old Testament, this was previously concealed. We didn't know about it. Okay? We've got to determine what this is. We have to use some deductive reasoning to line this down. It was previously hidden, but that has now. What does that tell you? The New Testament. The New Testament is the progressive revelation, the fleshing out of the Scriptures to show us the pinnacle personage of Jesus Christ. But has now been made known. This is not uncommon in the New Testament. In fact, all of these references, and they're in the notes on there, you don't have to feel like you've got to write them down and everything, but you will find mystery after mystery after mystery. In fact, here's the interesting thing. In Ephesians alone, Paul uses the word mystery more than he does in any other of his letters. He uses it six times, and it refers to four different mysteries. He's going to reveal to us four different things that were previously not understood in the Old Testament that he's going to unfold and say, now that Christ has come, this is what's going on. Does everybody see why the all wisdom and insight is so essential to this? God's given us the capacity to understand and function according to things that Old Testament saints did not have. We're seeing truths that David didn't know, Abraham didn't know, Ezekiel didn't know. They didn't understand these things. But now, in this New Testament, this church dispensation, he's unfolding this for us to see. We are an incredibly privileged people that live in a very privileged time. Please understand that. I know whenever you look out here and turn on your TV, you're like, good grief, why am I even bothering with this? I get that. I get it. But as a church, being believers in Jesus Christ, we live in an incredible time in history. What an amazing time to be alive. Why? We have the truth. Everything else is going to hell. And we have the truth. That's such a big deal. I don't know if it's a comfort to you. Good grief, it's a comfort to me. I could look at everything and be like, yeah, I know where that's going, and I don't have to worry about going there. That's actually called wisdom. God, I don't have to make that mistake because that was done apart from your truth. Yay me! Thank you, God. I love it. Moving on. Some scholars have actually preferred that this would be better recommended. Translation is secret. Now that sounds like, right? So that seems weird to us. But God has actually taken a secret, something that was always true, and now He is, here it is, and letting us know about it. Okay? What is it? Here it is. With a view to an administration suitable, it's fit for, to the fullness of times. Everybody see that's plural? Very important to understand in relation to this word. To the fullness of times. That's a timing phrase. He's letting you know where in history this sets. Where the mystery sets. Now we know the mystery now. We're going to see what it is in here in just a minute. But he's letting you know when it's going to flesh itself out in history. To an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, here's what the mystery is. The summing up of all things. In 
Christ all things. On earth, under the earth, above the earth, it does not matter. Natural, supernatural, celestial, physical, doesn't matter. All of it's going to be summed up in His Son. There's going to be a culmination that happens. And this culmination happens based upon the reconciliation that we saw at the beginning of verse 7. So the redemption, the forgiveness of sins of His blood that has happened, the cross was so critical in tearing down all of the barriers that existed between us and God. The only barrier that exists between a person and God now is their unbelief in response to the Gospel. That's it. Sins are paid. That wall's torn down. Differences? Gone. Why? Because the cross wiped it away. So the cross serves as the initial point which opens the floodgates for all this possibility. We believe in Jesus dying for our sins and raising from the grave. We're put into Christ. And now all of these blessings that go up, 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 up are now ours. This mystery being revealed is based upon this administration. Before we move to it, notice, it's things that are number one in the heavens, and number two, it's the things that are on earth. Both realms, under His headship, finding their culmination in Him. Now, everybody see the S on times. If your translation says time, stop it. Okay, Put one of these in there and put an S. Just insert it right on in there. God's okay with it. That's actually what He originally said. This is in the plural. To the fullness of the times. Question, what times? The end times, possibly. Who here has a King James or a New King James? What's in place of the word administration in yours? The word dispensation. Oh! This is a great word. In fact, this word is so great that a lot of scholars can't handle it. Let's talk about this word dispensation. The word is oikonomia. It's where we get the English word economy from. It actually springs from this Greek word. It means a responsibility of management. Management of a household or a direction or an office. And it also could be a state of being arranged, an arrangement or an order or a plan of some sort. It is a compound word from two words. Oikos means house or home. Namas means law. Literally, this word means house law. It's how God has decided over all of history to orchestrate specific times to have a stewardship proposition over each area. Let me give you an example. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Everybody remember that incident? We all know it well, don't we? That's the requirement, the responsibility. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate it. Which means that they failed. They have a responsibility not to eat. They have a failure that takes place and they sin. There's then a judgment that comes. What was the judgment? Do we remember? Sin's now in the earth. Death is now a possibility. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden. God had to kill two animals and skin them in order to provide clothes for them to wear. They could never go back in the Garden of Eden. A flaming sword turned every which way to keep them out. It stood in front of the entrance. That's a lot that happens because you decided to do something different than what God said. So a punishment takes place. There's a judgment that takes place. 
However, God had grace. God didn't let them stand there in the midst of their sin. When He killed those animals and He skinned them, He covered them. And that was a picture of what Jesus Christ does for our sin. Something dies, blood is shed, and we are covered. Everybody see that? So a dispensation consists of four parameters. Responsibility, failure, judgment, and grace. Every one of them. It's impeccable. It is a pattern all throughout Scripture that no one can deny. People have tried to rail against it, but it's there regardless. It always comes to the surface. So God at that time was running His economy a certain way. And He's stewarding over it His wishes, His will, what is required for obedience and blessing and those types of things. And when that is violated, God, because He is just and holy, has to deal with it, but He deals with it in a right and just way. Now, what's interesting about this, this word occurs 20 times in the New Testament. 20 times. So it's not just a fly-by-night word that we see here and there. God has an administration, a dispensation, an economy that is suitable to the fullness of times. What fullness of times? Well, the time of innocence, dealing with Adam and Eve. The time of conscience, when we see people like Enoch and Noah come to the fray. We also see a time of human government when Noah comes off the ark. People are now allowed to eat meat and capital punishment is then instituted. We then see a time of promise to where three promises are made to a man named Abraham. Go to the land that I will show you. I will give you seed. I will give you land. I will give you blessing. Then we have a time that comes up of the law. What is it for God's righteous standard to be plainly known for all to see? That Israel, this is how you have fellowship with me. This isn't how they come into relationship with God. Coming into relationship with God was due to applying the blood of that lamb so that death would pass over. It's a picture of the cross. When we apply the blood of the lamb by faith, death passes over us. The law is about obedience that happens later. They were redeemed in the midst of the junk of Egypt, but they went out to the mountain to receive instruction on how to live. How do you live in such a way to where you have an explosive fellowship with Yahweh? That's what the law is all about. And that was put forward. Then after that, you have the death of Christ paying for all of the sins in actual time. And you have this new dispensation that we're currently in right now called the church age. This is why we live in such a valuable part. Because the next age to come is, does anybody know what the next age is to come? The millennial reign of Christ. There will be a seven-year tribulation that happens after the rapture, which we talked about last week. And at the end of that, Jesus Christ will actually rip through the sky and destroy all enemies because He's serving out justice. The time of grace for these people on earth is over. I've given them all these chances. I've even let them know very plainly in my word about what I'm going to do and they refuse to listen to it. We're done. Then comes the millennial kingdom when Christ will reign for a thousand years. What is the fullness of times? The fullness of times is dispensations number one through six that will culminate in seven. God has a time future of which He will take these other six eras and He will wrap them all up into a situation where He exalts Christ as King. You say, well, how is that a mystery? How is that something that I previously didn't know? You guys are so astute. I'm glad you asked. The Old Testament and the end of the age. Everybody got your Bible? 
Okay, we're going to do a lot of flipping here in just a minute. A lot of reading, a lot of flipping. First thing I want you to go to is Psalm 2. And I'm going to ask for those of you that are keeping notes, you've got your little uh, booklet with the Scriptures on there. You just write these passages off to the side. Leave yourself just a tiny bit of room, maybe a line or something like that, because I want you to document some things about these Old Testament passages that are going to cover bases that we would already know from the Old Testament Scriptures so that we can eliminate, do a process of elimination to find out, well, what is this mystery that we now know that was previously concealed? We're going to see what that is. Psalm chapter 2. Here we go. Everybody ready? Why are the nations in an uproar? Makes you wonder if this was written yesterday, doesn't it? Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh, and against His anointed saying. Everybody see that word anointed? If you got a good marginal note, the Mashiach, the Messiah. They're actually making plans and taking a stand against the Creator and His Messiah. Pay attention to that. Notice it says here. Here's what they're saying. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want any restraint. Everybody know what fetters are? Everybody know that from whenever a horse is going along, it's the little blinders on the side that keep them looking forward. Why? Because horses got eyes that go like this. That's the reason why. So they need to look forward. Isn't God weird how he made that? I don't know. I think that's strange. Horses are, how do they look? Never mind. Forget it. Move on. That's something else. They cast away their cords from us. Now here's what's interesting about that. If you were to plug in 2 Thessalonians 2 where it says, let us cast his cords from us, they actually get what they were asking for in a time of future history. Why? Because when the rapture happens, 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us that the restraint will be taken out of the way, the restrainer will be taken, and it refers to the restrainer in the masculine pronoun. Well, if the church is raptured off the earth and we all have the indwelling Holy Spirit, who goes with us? You realize what's keeping this world from being as evil as it could be? It's the Holy Spirit. This is why we're called to be salt and light in this earth. Because when we're taken out of the way, evil runs rampant. Everybody can be as evil as they want to be once the Holy Spirit's out of the way. See, it's not just a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. We've got to be aware. We've got to pay attention. And because we have this capacity of all wisdom and insight, we know this. We have to use it. The desires of the nations and the rulers of the nations is we don't want the restraint of God. We see this all the time right now. And there's going to come a time when they actually get it. Verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, God can do that. I can't. I, I would not respond that way, okay? God has a sense of humor. So, he laughs. Notice this. It's not Yahweh. Everybody see that it's Adonai? All of a sudden, David puts Adonai in here. Does anybody remember what Adonai means? Don't sing any Amy Grant songs or anything. Does anybody know what Adonai means? It means Lord, Master. Notice this is really setting the tone for the Master scoffs at them. In fact, a lot of times when Adonai is used, you might want to ask yourself, is this talking about Jesus in the Old Testament? Maybe. Verse 5, Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for Me, I have installed My what? King upon Zion, My holy mountain. Pause. Has this happened yet? No. Jesus is not installed as the King yet. Over and over and over in the New Testament, He is at the right hand of the Father, 
He is waiting for the time when God says, now's the time, and He ascends the throne. And that is the millennial kingdom of Christ. So notice, we're getting a glimpse into the future about how God's going to deal with the nations. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Pause. Begotten does not mean born. Begotten means brought forth. You're my son, so the king is going to be his son. We know that. Think about what we've learned so far. It's going to be the idea that he's the anointed one of God. Notice that he's going to be God's king. He's also God's son that's going to be brought forward. Okay, This is the time when he ascends the throne is what it's talking about. He's begotten or brought forward. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations, the Gentiles, the pagans, as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. What does that mean? Worldwide rulership and domination. Notice it says here, you shall break them with a rod of iron. That's exact justice. It says here, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, notice the kings of the earth, show discernment. Pay attention. Listen up. Watch what I'm telling you so you don't make the fatal mistake of coming under the wrath of God. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship Yahweh with reverence and rejoice with trembling. You know what verse 11 is? It's a divine prescription for the problems we have with the governments of this age. If you want to know how to fix the governments, it's not about electing people. It's the fact that they need to worship Yahweh with reverence and rejoice with trembling. That's the response. Verse 12, do homage to the sun. Some of your translations say kiss the sun. Either one, it's the idea of humbling yourself before him. That he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. You know who that is? I love when I see me in Scripture. It's such a good thing. And it's not because I'm made much of in Scripture. It's because God has much for me in Scripture. God has much force in Scripture. You take refuge in Jesus, guess what? You're blessed. Now think about what we learned. He's the anointed one of God. He's a king. There's a future time of his reign. And he's his son. And he's got a wrath that's going to come out. But he's also a refuge for those people who respond appropriately. And the call has been made to the nations of the world to worship God with reverence. Good stuff, right? Excellent. we still got enough time to hit the rest of these. Psalm 89. Let's turn there. Remember, we're asking ourselves, what is this mystery about this future fullness of times, this dispensation that God has put forward? How do we deduce it if we didn't know about it in the Old Testament, and yet the Old Testament gives us a ton of information about the millennial reign? How do we deduce this? So, turn with me please, 89, we're going to start in verse 20. I have found David, my servant. Everybody see that? David, my servant. Now, if we were going through and we were taking a look at Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, you can jot it down for later. I wasn't going to go there for the, for the fact of time. It's in the notes, but you can do it on your own. God makes something called the Davidic covenant with David. There will always be someone who will sit on your throne in Israel. I will guarantee that that's how it will end. Okay, So it's a promise that's made. It's an unconditional promise from the line of David. There will be one from his heritage that will sit on that throne. So notice, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him, Mashiach, the anointed one of God. That's what makes somebody the Messiah. They've been anointed of God. It says here, 
with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name, his horn will be established or exalted. Forgive me. You say, what in the world does that mean? Anytime that you see horn in Old Testament or prophetic literature, it is talking about the idea of a kingdom. Always. You either see it that it talks about a king or a kingdom paired together. You can use Revelation to check that. Just get into literal word, type in the word horn, check it out. You will find king and kingdom always surrounding that idea. So if that's where Scripture points us, and in my name, his kingdom, his horn, will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. That's talking about having authority over those things. He will cry to me, you are my father. Now pause. Here's what's really crazy about this verse. This is the only time that God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament. The only time. And David is the one who refers to Him as such. That's a really beautiful way to see how was, how was David a man after God's own heart? The fact that he even called Him Father. That's an intimacy that we take for granted because we're in Christ now. Good grief, this is the only time this occurs in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful thing. Notice it says here, My God... And the rock of my salvation. Verse 27. I shall, also make him, I shall also make him my firstborn. That's talking about privileged position. That's not talking about hanging out in the delivery room, okay? It's a privileged position. The highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed to him. The Davidic covenant. So I will establish his descendants forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity stripes. Isn't that what happened to Solomon? Yes? We remember this? Don't fall asleep, guys. This is way too exciting. We're talking about the kingdom. You guys want to live in this world, go to sleep. If you want to go to the kingdom, pay attention. Good stuff. Great stuff. Notice this, verse 33. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate. I will not. You have to pay attention when you hear people talk about this covenant with David, how they try to manipulate it. Look what he says. Nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. God will not change His word towards David and his heritage. Watch this. Nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Verse 35. Once I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever and His throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. What do we learn about this? Well, number one, we find that this person who's going to rule on a throne in a future time is going to be from the heritage of David. That's important to write down in your margin there. That's an important thing for us to know. Just a couple more passages and then we'll be done. Israel does not go away. No, there's always a remnant, but that's not specifically what this is talking about. We're dealing solely with God's promise to provide justice, victory, through a ruler. Now, we, we know this is Jesus, right? We get that. But our question is, is what is Paul trying to tell us was previously not known that we now know? That's what we're asking the question about. Stay with me. We're going to get there. Jeremiah 23. Turn over to the right to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Is this good, Pete? Just making sure. Look how it starts. Jeremiah 23, 
look at verses 5 and 6. We could read more, but I knew we'd get into all kinds of stuff and we'd be here for a long time. You know how those Methodists like to get to Dino, so we don't want to do that. Here we go. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Pause. Coming out of David, Psalm 89, yes. What do we know about this king? He's not just a king. He's not just the Messiah. He's not just anointed. He's not just the Son of God, but he's also what? He's righteous. Everybody see that? Righteous. Now, righteous is not just a piddly word. It means the fact that everything that he does springs out of a foundation of correctness. There's high standards being set here. There's a high bar being set. Notice, and he will reign, it's future, as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. In his days, in what days? In the days when he rules as king, Judah will be saved. Everybody knows the Jews are largely in unbelief right now. This is why we need things like Jews for Jesus, people witnessing the Jewish people. This is their Christ. This is their king. And they've rejected him and they killed him. So now they've been put on the back burner of history and this is why the church is here. And we're in this present church dispensation. And this is why, yes, we look forward to the rapture, but good grief, soak everything you can out of the life that we have here and make the most of it. Share the gospel. Get involved. Serve people, love people. Exalt the name of Christ. Recognize what Scripture says and bring your life accordingly now that you have this new capacity of intelligence and function into line with the will of God. So notice it says here, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Brother, that ain't happening right now. Good gravy. We're worried about the AR-15 in our country. Their school teachers are mandated to carry semi-automatic weapons. They have to have them in the classroom. Craziness. Notice this here. It says here, and this is his name which by which uh, by which he will be called Yahweh our righteousness. That will be the banner of his name. Good stuff. What do we learn about this? This coming king, Messiah, Son of God, that will rule at a future time and is not intimidated by the worlds. In fact, all the nations will be brought under him, just like we saw the culmination, the summing up of all things in heaven on earth in the fullness of times for a future dispensation that's going to take place. He's righteous. Now let's be honest. If you know somebody is always going to treat you well, what do you have to fear? There are so many people who are even Christians who are scared to death of God. Some of you, don't raise your hand and don't flinch because everybody around you will know. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't read Revelation. It's so scary. It is if you're not on the winning team, man. It's frightening. And it should motivate us to say, I think I need to change teams. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can evangelize somebody from Revelation, praise the Lord, do it. Read Revelation. It is full of glory. It is full of righteousness. It is full of goodness. It's full. It's the culmination of everything that we've ever been promised by God. It is the righteous rule of His administration through His Son. It is everything that we dream that our current stewardships around us would do. It's everything we've ever longed for. Let's be honest. There's something inside of us that says, this ain't right. We look at all of it. We try to be objective. We listen to different opinions. And we say, if I know one thing, if we can all agree on one thing, stuff's messed up. I'm tired of stuff being messed up. This stinks like yesterday's diaper. 
Everybody knows what I've been doing. But it stinks. It's got to get fixed. Is there any? We usually say, is there any? Hope. And let's be honest, as a Christian, we ask that knowing. But sometimes our current situation seems so bad. We, where are we at on this? We don't really mean that. But man, what are we asking for? God, deliver us from this cesspool of garbage. Last passage. Isaiah. Clicker. There you go. 11. And Isaiah, I didn't choose this passage just because you're going to be here. can't tell I've missed you. So. I love this man. He's great. Love him. Sharon, you're pretty okay too. But... She likes him too. We're good. We'll go through this quickly, but pay attention to what you see, the similar language that connects it all together, and then we'll answer the question, what is this mystery in the New Testament time? Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Now, everybody remember that Jesse is David's father? Notice it's all falling in line with that, okay? And a branch from the root, his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Do you see the same similar themes spread throughout all this? Yes. Verse 6, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, the fatling, that's probably me, and a little boy will lead them. All the cow, uh, also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. What in the world is going on? You guys are a bunch of snake handling Christians. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about a future time when we see all this animal conflict to give us a minor scale of what we see is all laid to rest and there's nothing but peace. There's nothing but peace. In fact, all you can find is peace in those otherwise warring and carnivorous interactions. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For, here's the reason why, the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, everybody see then in that day? That's one of your time marker words. I draw a little clock next to it in my Bible. The nations. Where are we having the problem? Real quick, the nations, that's everybody that's not Israel in Scripture. So everybody but Israel at this time, and he deals with Israel later in verse 11. We're not going to read that. But the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, to the line of David. They're all going to recognize that they have nothing and nowhere to go, and they're all going to turn to this descendant of David for answers and help and rescue. You can read about that in Zechariah 14. 
It says here, who will stand as a signal. That's kind of a weird word. But it means as a flag, as a standard, as a sign, as a rallying point. It's almost like this. Everybody look at me. The Messiah is going to stand as a signal for the people. And His resting place will be glorious. What is this mystery? We learn a lot about the Messiah from just the Old Testament. We learn a lot about this future time that is guaranteed to come. We know it's a different dispensation of stewardship because it's not like anything else we've seen today. It's not like anything else we know. What was previously not known about this Messiah that is known now? It's not going to impress you at first until you stop and think about it for a moment. Okay? So everybody trust me and close your eyes. Just trust me. I'm not going to throw anything at you. You, as somebody in the church age, You know the name of the king. We know he's the Messiah. We know he's the Son of God. We know he's anointed to rule. We know he comes from David. We know that he's righteous. We know what happens at a future time. We know that all nations come underneath him. But you actually get to verbalize the name of Jesus Christ. We get to say his name. Abraham and all that he knew about God and all that he saw, he never got to say the name Jesus. And this life is so frustrating. And when my son comes to me and he says, Dad, I'm scared. For some reason, I've got all this. I don't know what's going on. My mind's just racing. He's dealing with anxiety at six years old. How to deal with that? And we talk about the power of the name of Jesus. That when his captors showed up to take him into handcuffs and draw him away, he stood up and he said, I am. And they fell to the ground like dominoes. The great mystery that he's revealed, what has been concealed previously, but he lets be made known to you and to me in this present dispensation. You know the name Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation. You know the identity of your King. You know who to call upon and expect to come back. You understand that He's an intimate Savior and Master right now putting His hand in your life and you can say, Jesus, help me! Jesus, i got nothing left. Jesus, You're the only hope. You can name the hope you don't have to think about the hope. You don't have to figure out the hope. You don't have to run through your mind and look for other areas. You say the name Jesus. There's power in His name. No one knew that before. Matthew chapter 1 is the first time that anybody comes across it in Scripture. Let's not run the risk of taking His name for granted. Let's glory in the grace of God that He has seen fit in this time. That we don't just know He's the Son or the King. He is Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And there is a future time when all other times will be culminating together to where He will reign. Jesus is our hope. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, it is so special to say the name Jesus. Do we say it enough? We know it. Previously, they did not know. They were looking for one. Even those that had knowledge had to follow a star to understand where He was. They knew the Scriptures inside and out. Father, help us to remember what it was like the first time we came across the name Jesus. And we recognize the weight, the value, the worth, the preciousness, the excellence of His name, the royalty of His name, the message of His name, that You are salvation. Lord, let this not be lost on us. We are a people who know His name. We are people who call Him by His name. We are a people who He has invited us to come to the throne of grace boldly. We have these rights, these privileges. This is part of our every spiritual blessing that we get to say the name Jesus. Jesus, thank You that You died. Thank You that You lived. But thank You that You will reign. If our hearts are not purpose towards this end if we are not living in this new capacity that we have been given in all wisdom and insight father change our hearts reach right into each one of our chests and knock off the gunk that we've allowed to build up there and to soften the stone that is formed there and to help us to recognize that we actually need a savior just as much now as we did when we first met him because there is not a day or a moment that can go by without Jesus. What profound, incredible, and amazing love. What love. God, You're so good. Lord, help us to value, to appreciate the name of Jesus. Praise His name.